Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Well, we've been in a study the last several months of a biography of Jesus from Luke. In the last couple of weeks, we've kind of pressed pause and studied the 12 apostles. We saw them in the, earlier in chapter 6 as Jesus selected these 12 men, uh, very important men who would be trained and then sent out as his representatives. And now we are continuing the story in verse 17. Immediately after choosing these men, Jesus comes down the mountain with them, stands in a flat place, Luke tells us, and crowds of people start to come to him to hear him teach and to be healed of their illness. So we'll pick up the story in verse 17, where it says he came down with them and stood in the plain. He came down with his apostles that he had just selected and stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. This, uh, these three verses serve as an introduction to our main text this morning, which is Jesus' teaching. And Luke highlights large groups of people from all over Israel and even outside of Israel who are coming to hear Jesus teach. Tyre and Sidon are uh, coastal cities outside of the land of Israel. These were not Jewish people. But they had come for two reasons primarily, to hear Jesus teach and to be healed if they were sick or uh, possessed of a demon. And in these few brief verses, we see Jesus' power over sickness and evil spirits. We see his popularity with people who had come so far to hear him. Hear him. And we see Jesus' identity as God. Only God has the power to heal and command unclean spirits. All of these are things we've already seen in Luke's gospel. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on these three verses because these have been highlighted over and over by Luke, that Jesus has power uh, unlike any human being, that he is God, and that he, uh, that he loves people. And this, this text shows us something of the heart of Jesus. He, he could have proven his deity in many ways. Uh, he could have done all sorts of miracles, and yet primarily the way that he did this was through helping people, through healing those who were sick, through casting out demons. And it's from that compassion for people that Jesus begins this famous sermon. I want to begin by showing you uh, the parallel structure of this sermon. Jesus pronounces blessings and woes on opposite groups of people. To be blessed is more than just happiness. This is a, a state of basically a preferred status. If you think of somebody that you think, man, they've got it really well in their life. They've received some sort of uh, blessing. Maybe they inherited some great amount of money or they have some position of power, whatever it might be. We would look at those people and say they're blessed. And so to be blessed is to be in a favorable position. Woe is the opposite. Woe is somebody that is in a less favorable position. Somebody that is uh, perhaps you feel sorry for because they're in such bad uh, condition. You say blessed to the person who has obtained some great position or privilege. You say woe to somebody in terrible circumstances. So I want to first point out the parallelism that exists in the introduction to the sermon. And we'll put each verse next to the opposite one on the screen so you can see this. Starting with verse 20. It says, He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then verse 24, we have the opposite. Woe unto you that are rich. 
for ye have received your consolation. Verse 21, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Followed by the corresponding opposite in verse 25, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. And then lastly, we have the blessing in verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and they shall separate you from their company, shall reproach you, shall cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And verse 26 is the matching woe. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Clearly, Jesus is contrasting two different groups of people. One group is suffering, but is called blessed. The other group seems to be in better circumstances, but Jesus pronounces woe on them. As I began to look at this text earlier this week, I had a lot of questions. Uh, there's certain texts and certain teachings of Jesus especially that I think just cause us to ask a lot of questions. And so this morning, I'm going to give uh, several of them. Maybe you've had some similar questions, and then we'll try to answer them. First of all, do all poor, hungry, suffering, and hated people go to heaven? If you read this text just simply, it seems to imply that. Secondly, do all rich, full, happy, and liked people go to hell? Is that the conclusion we should draw from this? Uh, number three, how is it more blessed to be poor? How is it more favorable to be hungry or crying or persecuted? How is that a more favorable life than one of wealth, fullness, laughter, and friendship? Seems backwards. Next, is it wrong to be rich? Is it a sin to laugh? Should we never be full after a meal? Is it a sin to be liked by others? And then kind of along with that, number five, should we try to be poor? Should we try to be hungry? Should we seek to be hated and suffering people in order to receive this blessing? In other words, if I'm rich or full or happy and everything's going well, should I sell everything and try to bring on uh, some sort of suffering into my life in order to receive this blessing Jesus talks about? Number six, are these categories to be taken literally or metaphorically? Uh, Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Is that what Luke means here? And if so, why did Luke say blessed are the poor? Why didn't he say blessed are the poor in spirit? Is this supposed to be the economic status of poverty that Jesus is speaking of or some sort of spiritual humility? What does it mean to be hungry? Does it literally mean to hunger for food or does it mean, like Matthew says, hungering and thirsting after righteousness? And if so, why did Luke say it differently? And along these same lines, my last question, should we interpret Luke in light of Matthew's account and, mean, and assume that they mean the same thing? Or should we assume that Luke and Matthew record different sermons of Jesus where he is intentionally saying different things entirely? Are the differences between Matthew's account and Luke's account of this sermon to be ignored? Should we view these as uh, the same teaching or are these differences that we're supposed to focus on? And should we draw different conclusions from Luke's sermon than we do Matthew's? These are all questions I had as I began to study this text. Maybe you've had some of these as well. And now that I've raised them, I have to try to answer all of them. I want to start with where I ended. Uh, namely, what are we to make of the differences between Luke's and Matthew's account of the sermon? Are these two records of one sermon, or are these different sermons? Is the poverty being spoken of here economic poverty or spiritual humility? Should we, should we draw significance out of the fact that Luke says, blessed are the poor, not blessed are the poor in spirit like Matthew does? I think we should. 
I think Luke means poor. I think he means literally hungry. I think he means literally suffering. Not metaphorically, but literally. And I think that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't believe these are the same sermons. Uh, scholarship is split on this. Some people think they are, some people think they aren't. If you read Matthew 5 through 7, and you compare it to Luke 6, there's a lot of differences. There's some similarities for sure, but there's also a lot of differences. Uh, I would submit that Jesus taught, he traveled around from town to town teaching similar things. Um, we know this, actually. If you just read the Gospels, you'll see him teaching from one town, town similar things to what he taught at another town. And so I think these are similar sermons, perhaps, but not the same event. Uh, one reason for that, Matthew 5.1, this is the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So he's in the mountain, and he preaches there in Matthew's Gospel. In Luke, Jesus comes down to a flat place and teaches people there. Luke six seventeen says he came down with them and stood in the plain. That's not a mountain. And people have tried to get around that saying it's a plateau on top of a mountain. I think that's a stretch. I think these are two different events. Luke's is the Sermon on the Plain, we might call it, instead of the Sermon on the Mount. I think the difference in setting indicates that these are two different occasions. That's not the only reason I think this. Matthew's Beatitudes are very different. Consider some of these from Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. All of those are characteristics of a true Christian. These have nothing to do with suffering. All of these are evidences of conversion. And none of these are mentioned in Luke's, uh, Luke's account of Jesus' sermon. Luke, the Luke sermon is focused on those who are suffering, those who are poor, those who are mourning, those who are crying, whereas Matthew seems to be focused on your purity of heart and your desires. Matthew's Beatitudes are much broader. They're about positive traits like peacemaking and purity and mercy, not just suffering circumstances. Also, the sermons go in a completely different direction. If you go past the Beatitudes, they split off into very different directions. Now, again, some of them end up interweaving later on in the sermons, but I think there's enough differences to say that these are different sermons. Jesus traveled around teaching for three years, and he taught some similar things at different points in times. And so I think although there are some similarities, these are different events. And so based on that, I do not believe we should interpret one based on the other. But rather, we should look at each individually and ask, what is Jesus saying here in this text? And there's nothing in Luke's sermon that indicates he's not talking about real poverty, real hunger, real crying, and real persecution. I see no reason in this text to interpret it metaphorically. In fact, when Jesus does talk about the poor, I know he's not talking about the poor in spirit because he contrasts it with rich people. Are we to assume those are rich in spirit? What does that even mean? I think we're talking about real suffering that these people are enduring. And so as we consider the Sermon in the Plain in Luke, I want to encourage us to look at this as a different teaching than the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and not try to force them to mean the same thing. Now that leads to the next question. Are all poor people blessed? Is this a universal promise that if you go through suffering and hunger and poverty that you're blessed and if you're rich you're going to be judged? I think that question and some of the others I asked at the beginning can be answered by noticing a couple of key words in the text. First, in verse 20, it says, He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. These are not universal promises. He is speaking to his disciples, not his apostles, his disciples. The disciples, you remember, is the larger group. These are people who follow Jesus. He's not saying universally, if you're a poor person, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. All you poor people, you're going to go to heaven someday. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. doesn't matter if you're a God-hating atheist. So long as you're poor, you're going to make it to the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying. I don't think poor people who hate God are a part of his kingdom. And the same for all hungry and crying and hated people. I don't think just because that's your status, that necessarily means these promises apply to you. These are given to those who follow Christ. It's not enough to be suffering. He's speaking to those who are suffering and who are his disciples. Notice in verse 20, he says, yours is the kingdom of God. This is the only promise in these verses that is present tense. He's not saying you shall receive some great thing. The other passages, it's, you know, you're hungry now, but you'll be filled later. You're, uh, you're poor now, but you'll be rich. This one, it's present tense. Yours is the kingdom of God. You're a part of my kingdom now. All the other blessings are future. But this statement proves that these blessings are not given just to people who are poor and hungry, but to people who are followers of Christ, who are a part of his kingdom. And only if you're a part of Christ's kingdom and subject to his rule in your life can you apply these blessings. There's another phrase that leads me to this conclusion, verse 22, when he mentions uh, being hated, being separated and reproached, having your name cast out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. These are not just people that are hated. There's a lot of people that are hated because they're jerks. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, blessed are you if people hate you and persecute you for my sake. This assumes that you're following Jesus. If you're not a disciple of Christ, these promised blessings are not yours. You can't claim that verse 22 applies to everybody just because, or applies to you just because no one likes you. It doesn't guarantee you access to the kingdom. And so I would argue that these promised future blessings are specifically for those who follow Jesus, who are part of his kingdom, who are living for the sake of the Son of Man, and they suffer as a result. So what's the point of this text? What are we to conclude from this? I think the main teaching here is a contrast between those who live for Christ and those who live for themselves. It's the difference between living for pleasure and doing whatever you want with your life instead of choosing to live for Christ and give up your pleasures in order to do his will. I don't think this means you have to necessarily be poor and suffering, but instead don't live for riches and pleasure. Live for Jesus even if that means less money and less enjoyment in this life. I want to start in verse 25 and point one more thing out before we really get into this. Verse 25 says, toward the end of the verse, Woe unto you that laugh now. I don't think it's a sin to laugh. I don't think it's wrong to laugh. I don't think it's somehow better to cry all the time and to be in misery. And that can't be what Jesus is saying because in verse 23 he says, When people persecute you and they hate you, you're supposed to rejoice in that day. Notice, he doesn't say rejoice in the future. Rejoice now when that happens. Rejoice in this life. Leap for joy. That sounds like laughter. That sounds like enjoyment. I thought we weren't supposed to laugh now. I thought we were supposed to be crying and mourning. Right? Wrong. There's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with being full after a meal. There's nothing wrong with enjoying some comfort, some pleasures in this life. But there is something wrong with living for pleasure in this life instead of living for Christ. And the point is, even if it costs you, live for Jesus. Notice in the woes, 
in those verses, there's a total lack of mention of Christ. In the first few verses, we saw uh, three different occasions where he says to his disciples, he says, yours is the kingdom. He says, for the Son of Man's sake, you're suffering. But the woe passages, there's nothing about Christ. These are people who are living apart from Jesus. They are not living for the sake of the Son of Man. They are not disciples of Jesus. No such statement is in these woe passages. And these people are judged not because they are rich and happy, but because they are living apart from Christ. So should we all seek to be poor and miserable in this life? No, I don't think so. We should seek to live our lives for Jesus Christ. But if you're a disciple and you happen to be poor, how should you think about that? Just think, you're a part of God's kingdom, Jesus says. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you happen to be hungry, how should you think about that? Jesus says, think, this is temporary. In the next life, you'll be fully satisfied. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you happen to be weeping in this life, how should you think about that? Think this. Weeping may endure for a season, but joy is coming. I'm headed for a future with no tears. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you happen to be hated by others for following Jesus, he says, think, you're just like the prophets who serve God. They, they were hated too, and you'll receive an eternal reward. This passage, I believe, is meant to be an encouragement to the person who is following Jesus and is enduring hardship. If you're suffering poverty or hunger or persecution for my sake, know that you're blessed. Now that leads to another question that I raised. How is that a blessed life? How can we look at somebody who's hungry, who's starving, somebody who's uh, poverty-stricken and think, boy, they have a blessed life? People, people look at Christians often and they don't understand. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that knows you're a Christian and they ask you all sorts of questions? Like, they just can't fathom that, you're, that you really believe the Bible and you try to live by it. They might say things like, you go to church every Sunday? Wednesdays too? You give money to this church? Is this, is this like a cult? You ever had somebody ask that? Uh, they just don't understand. Maybe when you're younger especially, you, you stay pure until you're married? One woman for life, really? Many times people look at Christians and think, you guys are really missing out. Uh, you're missing out on the pleasures and fun of this world. But Jesus says, no, that's the blessed life. That life is more favorable. That life is the better way to live than to be rich and laughing and living for pleasure. How is that? How is a life of self-denial and following Jesus better and more blessed than a life of great fun and pleasure? I want to go back and highlight a few, th a few key words again in the text. Verse 21 says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, so that's your current situation, for ye shall be filled. That's your future. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Verse 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, shall se separate you from their company, shall reproach you, cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for, here's the reason, behold, your reward is great in heaven. And then verse 24, woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. You've already got it in this life. There's nothing ahead of you that you can look forward to. Verse 25, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Living for Jesus is the blessed life, is the better life, because there's a future of reward coming. Your reward is great in heaven if you live that way, even if it may look to others around you like you're missing out on a lot of fun right now. If you live for now, Jesus says, you've received your consolation. You've received your reward. If you're rich in this life and you're living for your, your own sake and your own pleasures, uh, you've got your reward. But if you live for Christ, 
No matter what sacrifices you might make along the way, as soon as your life here is ended, you'll receive your great reward that lasts forever. Psalm 1611 describes this future reward that awaits all believers. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The eternal state of a true disciple is one of pleasure and joy forever in the presence of God. That is what you have to look forward to as a disciple. And that future reward is our consolation for the suffering in this present life. I want to go back to a couple of verses, point out a few more things along these lines. Verse 22 says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, when they shall reproach you, cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. Isn't it strange that that particular suffering is drawn out more than the others? He says, blessed are you poor, blessed are you uh, hungry, blessed are you that are, are crying. And then he says, not just blessed are you when you're hated. He says, blessed are you when you're hated, when people separate from you, when they reproach you, when they cast out your name as evil. Why does he go on and on about that one? And why is it in verse 23 that he responds with saying, rejoice and leap for joy? He didn't say that about any of the others. He didn't say, blessed are you poor, rejoice and leap for joy. He didn't say, blessed are you if you're hungry in this life. Rejoice and leap for joy. He could have said that. Why does he say it only in this one? Now, I don't know if I have a great answer for that, but I want to suggest one. It seems to me that Jesus is saying, as you suffer in this life as a follower of Jesus, think about your future blessing and reward. And the more intense your suffering becomes, the more you should focus on that future. Understand, you're blessed when things are bad. But when things are really bad, perhaps people are hating you, they're separating from you, they're reproaching you, they're casting out your name as evil. In other words, the more intense your suffering in the path of following Christ becomes in this life, the more you should look to eternity and the blessing and reward coming and rejoice in that. And let that encourage you during the darkest times of life. And those who live for Jesus in this life will receive blessing and eternal reward, even though they may go through suffering now. Those who live for now, this is all they get. The riches and fun and laughter of this life will pass quickly, and then they will experience suffering forever. The riches that they lived for, that they sought so much to obtain, will be gone after death. The enjoyment and pleasure will be gone, and in its place, mourning and weeping. And I think Jesus is saying to his followers, to his disciples, those who are living for the sake of the Son of Man, blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom. Jesus is their king. He's ruling over their lives. In other words, they're living for him. There are some poor and suffering who are not blessed. There are some rich and laughing, I believe, who are not cursed. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you can take comfort in suffering in this life because you know you have a future life of blessing. And if you live for yourself now in the temporary pleasures of life instead of Christ, you should realize that this is the best it will ever be for you. Blessed are you who live for Jesus. Even if you're poor and hungry and suffering now, think about your future reward. You are blessed. But to you who are living it up now in this life, not even thinking about Christ, woe to you. You might be rich, but that's all your reward. You've received your blessing. And it's temporary and insignificant. You might be laughing now, but there's suffering coming for you and eternal judgment. We're going to spend the next several weeks working through the rest of the sermon. It goes throughout the chapter. But I want to jump ahead to the conclusion to make sure we're getting the point of this section. I, I'm arguing that the main point is 
not to live for yourself and for temporary pleasure, but instead to live for Jesus. And that even if there's suffering in that way of life, and you might think, I, I would have more fun if I lived for those other things, ultimately, that life ends in misery and judgment, and, f- and the fleeting pleasures pass away. Whereas a life lived for the Son of Man will result in eternal reward and eternal blessing. So follow Jesus and know that you'll be glad in the end that you did, even if you don't see that blessing now. That's my summary of this paragraph. Now let's see how Jesus concludes the sermon and see if we're on the right track. Verse 47, Whoso cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Those are the final words of this sermon. If you live for temporary pleasures of this life, that's like building a house with no foundation. It's easier. Digging down into the ground and laying a foundation, that's hard work. It seems easier and more fun and immediately rewarding to just skip that step and build your house. But in the end, that house is going to be destroyed and it will all be gone. If you live for now, you live for pleasures in this life and you avoid self-denial to follow Christ, you'll be destroyed. Your life will end and all your fun will vanish. But if instead you live for Jesus, as he put it in verse 47, if you come to Jesus, hear his teachings and do them, if you live according to his words, you'll have the eternally blessed life. This is ultimately eternal thinking versus temporary thinking. And the Christian life doesn't make sense ultimately if there's not a life after death. If none of that was true, you might as well live for now. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If there's no resurrection, if we don't have that future life to look forward to, uh, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Live for riches. Live for pleasure now. Paul literally says in in 1 Corinthians 15, I didn't have that on the screen, says, if there is no resurrection, eat, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Enjoy life. Live for now if there's no life after the grave. But if there is, then it matters how we live this life. And that should radically change our priorities. And so a good question for each of us to ask is in what way do we live differently as a Christian than if we were not a Christian? As a follower of Jesus, how does that really change our day-to-day living? How does that affect our priorities? It's easy for all of us to focus on work, especially. It's easy for all of us to get wrapped up in pleasures and money, things of this world that we lose sight of eternal values. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 9, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Does your life reveal temporary thinking? Are you living for the here and now and for things that won't last beyond the grave? God's promised blessing is on those who live for him. Even if this, in this life you don't seem to have as much enjoyment and blessing as a sinner you may know, death is the great reversal. Many who have enjoyed the fleeting pleasures of life will be eternally tormented. And many who have served God and made sacrifices in their life will be eternally blessed and rewarded. 
want to look at one illustration of this, perhaps the most poignant illustration in the New Testament of this truth. Luke 16. It says, There was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're blessed. You're in a more favorable position, even if it doesn't look that way now. And if you live without Christ now, you're headed for misery. The rich man, he had it all in this life. He fared sumptuously every day. He had it all, and then in the next life, he had nothing because he didn't have Jesus. His desire was that somebody would warn his brothers to repent, to live for Jesus now while they had the chance. Our text in Luke 6 is a great comfort to those who are suffering followers of Christ. And simultaneously, it's a warning to those who are living for themselves and their own enjoyment. If you only care about now and the immediate pleasures of life, woe to you. But if you live for Jesus now, even though that's more work, may not seem as fun or as pleasurable here and now, in the end you'll receive your reward. And from Jesus' eternal perspective, he says that is the blessed life. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Heavenly Father, I pray that this text would serve as an encouragement to those who are living for you, who are sacrificing and wondering if it's worth it. Remind them of the future, of the eternal blessing and reward that they will receive. I pray also, God, this text would serve as a conviction to the one who is living for themselves. Without a thought of you day to day, going on about their life, going on about their pleasures, seeking riches, seeking the things that this world has to offer, not living for the sake of the Son of Man. 
pray that you would warn them in their hearts of the danger of that life and of the ultimate end of it. Pray this would serve as perhaps a refocusing for each of us to think more about eternal priorities, not to be so bogged down in the details of this life that we lose sight of the big picture. Pray that you would uh, do this in each one of our hearts, Lord, in my own life, that you would help me to think more and more every day about how can I live for you, and in what ways am I just living for myself? Am I thinking about my own priorities and not about the ultimate reward and the ultimate goal of my life? We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.